Let's go. Master of all things tabletop. With the Paladins of Podcast. They ruin the games you love by talking rules that suck, how to build kick-ass encounters, destroy worlds, and really get your players invested. So go ahead and throw that fistful of dice at someone. Because we're going on a side quest. <laughs> Paladins of Podcast are back with side quests. Eli, how are we doing today? I am doing delightful. Uh, I've had, I played, in, or I ran two games this week. Uh, my, my Hackmaster game is, is going and going well. And, but I also ran my Wild Seas group, which awesome. is our third session. We kind of had a, a two-part session zero. Um, okay. But we're all, basically everyone's new to the system. Um, and we're starting to pick it up, and uh, the wheels on the bus are starting to roll, so um, I'm excited. Good, good. And for those of those who do not remember, Wild Seas is chainsaw sailboats across the treetop canopy. Indeed it is. I remember these things. I remember. So uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about that... uh, a magazine we had discovered last week, correct? The Generic Adventure magazine, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, Generic Adventure magazine, issue two and issue three. Awesome. And I took a look at them earlier today, and issue two seems like it's going to be the one that feels like the hardest to pull off, and that their big thing is telling the story backwards. Which one do you want to talk about first, two or three? Because each each issue basically has one one topic yep. in them. Yep. Truthfully, I think telling the story backwards is what we should jump into next because the last issue that you had uh, shown me for the preview for the third is we kind of agreed it was like a natural progression. And I think ending ourselves on that note would be a little easier. Cool. Yeah. So uh, Generic Adventure Magazine 2... Uh, they're in this issue. They talk about backwards gaming, and backwards gaming is essentially creating an adventure as usual, um, then breaking your adventure into sections, um, which could be like scenes or acts, and then reorder the sections. And yep. the, the the premise that they're saying is do it backwards, but. I think it could really be in any order. Well, I think what they describe is really well done when they mention the 2000 movie Memento, directed by Christopher Nolan, which, by the way, I, I love the film. Um, but I also consider it the Quentin Tarantino style because you sort of start with the end and then you piece it together from there. And my immediate hang-up for this style is that your timeline being a little bit all over the place requires a whole lot of work and it doesn't feel intuitive at first. You've got to get that setup right. Without a good setup, it's a confusing mess in my opinion. So here's my first question. When Mm -hmm. we're talking about this, are you, would you envision doing this in a campaign? Like, would you do this in your, like in your continuous game? would you have an adventure? Like, would you slot in an adventure that used these backward scenes? 
I think I would, because I also had mentioned I would try to attempt to tell a uh, at least one scene from a outside perspective of the party. We kind of talked about that white tiger stalking the party, and I'm actually telling the story from the perspective of that tiger. Um, so I think doing it, I wouldn't have a problem with interjecting. Um, thinking about long-form storytelling, like you see in television series it really works well but again without the right app not the right application but the right um I, I lost the right word i usually have these without the <laughs> without the right setup and um follow through again I, i've got a feeling it would really fall apart in a long story campaign just to throw it in there it would require a certain degree of setup and then a certain degree of action and conclusion and it's okay if it's not always linear but how do you really throw it in there without tripping up your party at the same time yeah i i, I think i think the biggest issue for these these backwards adventures is that you re, i mean you know the ending and mm -hmm. you need to make sure that each of the scenes has actual meaningful impact because yep. otherwise you're just riding along on on a story which is is cool for storytelling but if if what you're if if you've already done the most imp important scene first or the most important thing on the adventure first and what incentive do you have to be invested in those previous scenes true and it's it's a scenario I'm I'm reading through their first example, and it it has a setup that works, and it reminds me very distinctly of the Blades in the Dark system, where essentially you get to a point where you have a screw up, and then you can use your flashback essentially to go back and like, all right, why did this end up happening? And it seems like that system was specifically designed for this type of mechanic, uh, which works. But I don't know. It again, hard to participate. Well, I, I actually think that their the backwards adventure that they present is is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of gone back and forth on if I like it, but I feel like this would be a fun little adventure to throw after the party. Like if you ever have a TPK and the the party is all like all knocked out you mm -hmm. can kind of you could start the next session with one of these um because what they have is like the the party the player character wakes up inside a locked prison cell yep. and then each of their flashbacks is them working backwards in time to like when they got caught so like you could have it working backwards in time into that fight in which they got all all knocked out Right. And then at the end of the the five flashbacks, right, the, the 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 character now like basically you've kind of exposition dumped on them through these different scenes, and then now they can try to escape. And I kind of like that scene because you've you've put the players in like a you know you've you've moved them to this other spot, and then you give them a little bit of control and influence about actually what happened and what's going on in the setting. Um, and then when they are done with all those sequences, they can now 
still continue forward. True. And I'll have to say that to a degree, I've used portions of these ideas when I started campaigns. Like I've started, hey, you guys are in prison cell, um, but I want you to tell me why you ended up there. Like you guys fill in the blanks. This is where you're at. This is where the story starts. Why? And so instead of playing through those scenarios for the characters, they just fill in the blanks. Um, I, I've attempted that and it's similar. It runs on very similar parallels, but we're not playing. So obviously there's that incredibly large disconnect between the two. Um, asking me to play those, I think you're right. During a character creation or opening uh, scene for a campaign or after you experience a large loss and you're bringing in something new, it's a perfect opportunity to give it a try. It fits. It, it really does fit. Hey, this is where you're at. Now we're going to play through a few scenarios on kind of how you got here. I've, I've thought about <clears throat> doing like run or writing or running an adventure kind of using this mechanic, but I don't think I would, I've never thought about putting the ending first. I've always wanted to keep the ending at the ending, mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily start at maybe the first scene. Um, I think the way I was thinking about it was using like going forward, like going backwards in time, right? The whole premise is like maybe they're like in the wheel of time, how there's like multiple mm -hmm. turns of the wheel and there's different heroes that arise um, where each of those scenes you play out like a crucial moment um, to then affect your last battle. Right. Right. And I guess, like I said, I'm not sure. I, I like the way it's presented, but it, I don't, I don't know. Maybe again, it comes down to a little bit of experience with trying so many different things because again, I've, I've tried a lot of different portions. It's like developing a, having your party develop a 20th level character to do a one shot in which they all either die and make a uh, pact with a powerful deity to bring them back or retire their characters. But at the conclusion of that scenario, that battle, the next game, you're starting off as your first level selves, and that will be the crescendo in which you end up in. It, it's a fun story idea, and there's plenty of use for it in cinematic uh, film, TV, writing, novels, short stories. <clears throat> and I can see how the translation to tabletop games is a pretty natural progression of it, but... I'm not sure how it would play out. I think it's uh, like a great technique for writing like a one shot or a short mm -hmm. series adventure where your adventure isn't just about like you, you're basically tell, like those, those adventures are really like run through it and experience this adventure where it's like, these are the kind of linear adventures that I think are great and should be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, as you adventure, you're kind of, you're, you're learning the story the author has to tell you. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now here's, here's something that as I'm considering that could potentially throw a small wrench in the engine, they have that scenario and now you rewind back. Now we're saying, all right, we know where you're at. Let's figure out how you got there that kind of sets it in stone as to where you're supposed to end up. So you have to have an event by some kind that either railroads them into that 
future chapter you just played out or magically aligns up. And not all the players would be on the same page if you're doing this within a whole party, which, like you said, for a few players here and there, it may be a decent option. Well, that's that's why I think it's great for like a one shot, uh, because with a one shot, you basically you, you have to buy into the premise or like why even play it. And true with like th that's the this whole premise is like there's going to be some of those. And I think that's why it wouldn't go in as well. Of a, it wouldn't fit a slot in as well in like a long form campaign. Right. Because that's when everyone has like wildly different goals, and it's it's you that are trying to adapt the like an adventure to appeal to some of the parties, as opposed to everyone just is like, "Yep, we're on the train." That's true. So I do I do agree that your uh, your buy in that you described that agreed suspension of uh, essentially expectations and buying into the set format would be highly necessary. You'd have to clearly define, not that you're going to play it backwards, just this is the story that we're looking to tell. Um, because one of the first key things in here that they uh, the magazine discusses is don't tell your party that you're going to do it. You want them to be able to find out. Like You want, you want it to hit them. Like They're going to explore it. Like They're going to be like, oh, shit, and it's going to be a huge revelation. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't think this... Uh, like, I, I mean, I feel like once you've done it once, right, it's not going to be like, a, oh, it's happening again. Right. Right. But I, I, I think this is why it's, it's key to have each like of the flashbacks or each of your backwards scenes, like scenarios or scenes, whatever you want to call them. There has to be something in it that actually has player agency because at the end, you know, at some point, the GM is going to, you know, get you into the scene you were just at. Right. And so you need to be able to do something to affect. And that's why I think it's really great that, like, I mean, in this, in these flashbacks, as flashbacks. Yeah. And as, as you're describing this, I'm really connecting a lot of these dots. I'm painting them and seeing how I've either used portions of this unaware or I've found ways to work in portions of this to a degree. And I have to say, I think I've done small bits and pieces. I've never fully committed, but I've told you about one of my characters in one of my campaigns for contingency heroes, Alexios the Samurai. And he has a huge chip on his shoulder from his father's death, etc. And I'm doing something very similar where he knows where he's currently ending up, but I've used at least two flashbacks for his character at this point right now where he gets to interact and play, and that helps sort of shape where his character had ended up. But I could only do that because I knew where his character was, so obviously that's the point here. We're taking the ending, and then I'm building from there. The only difference is, is that in my campaign, it's in the middle of a session. It's in the middle of the story, in the middle of the long-form arc. It is not start at the end and then fill in the blanks from there. Funnily enough, uh, I actually wrote a short story in college basically doing this, where I wrote the entire story and then cut it into segments and then reordered it and then turned it in. How'd that go over? 
And actually, I I thought it it went well. Um, I got uh, you know, the the format was a, a great aspect of it, uh, better than my writing. <laughs> nice, um, nice. No, I thought I thought it went well. So. Okay, I mean that works. That's. Yeah. It's another small tool that we as game masters or storytellers can stick in our back pocket because doing the same thing day in and day out can get excessive or boring, uh, dry. If you just rinse and repeat every week, you're going to get burnt out. So a new format at least breathes new life into it for us. And if it well works out great, I mean, that's a win-win. Well, even in my in my long form campaign, I've actually talked to my players about it, mm -hmm. and I've specifically told them at times like, "Hey, like, we're now going to play a dungeon crawl themed, or like, and I'll even or I'll ask them like, "Hey, do you want to do a dungeon crawl? Do you want to do a hex crawl? Do you want to like, what kind of format are you interested in exploring?" And then so we'll have different like you know for a year we'll play just a total hex crawl and so it'll it'll change like our ex exploration mechanics and how they go about but they'll keep the adventure going that's not bad that's not bad at all i've talked to my players somewhat similar similarly about how what are they kind of looking for in this game that we're going to go through next and develop from there um it's it, i don't know man it, it, it's our job to give them what they want and entertain them and as long as we're all having a good time, you know, I don't know. I guess for me on this particular method, following it to the T, the jury is still out. I can't say I love it, how it's presented, but I cannot say I would not give it a try to see how it works either. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to bring it to, I don't know if I'll bring it to my table. I don't know if I'm a a, a good enough writer to pull off uh, a, a story that could be written backwards like this, but you know, I might try to take uh, like a module or adventure I have run, and I'll see mm -hmm. if I could backwards game it. Now, something like that may put new life in sleepy modules. Things that you have run enough you could do in your sleep, running it backwards you don't have to worry about uh, something new coming up that you haven't read yet because you know it inside and out. So yeah. that might that might be a little bit of an easier buy-in for the storyteller, the game master, etc. Uh, and allow the players who aren't as familiar with that particular module, or even if they are, they probably won't catch on. They're like, uh, what, this starts out pretty similar to how this other one ended. Um, so Heck, if you have enough stale adventures, you can... You can slice them and shuffle them between adventures. I mean, the secret's out if you tell them that. I mean, that's what everybody <laughs> does with every adventure anyway. We just take portions and rehash them. So it, it's great. I like it. And again, I will, I'll table it. I'm not going to say I'm going to ignore it. I'll table it. And if I ever get to it, I'll let you know how it goes. And I have to say it that way because I have yet to present the third uh, person view of my party from the tiger creeping through the jungle um, brush below the canopy. I don't think that really counts because not, you're not you're not, not telling them that. like the ending. 
You're no, just... I'm not saying that counts. I'm saying that that's just a different perspective of storytelling I have yet to try. So I got to tell you, I'm going to table this one too because I haven't done my other experimental storytelling yet. Why so, not? It doesn't have to be a tiger. I don't want to talk about why not. All right. Okay. All right. I'll tell you. You pressured me. Have you not had sessions? No, I have not. <laughs> I have not. Things have been a little hectic and chaotic. Um, and I'll tell you truthfully, they're not really going to settle down too much. We got word from the baby doctor that she's expecting the new baby for my family to come within the next 14 days. Oh, my. Yeah, that is darn crazy. But think about your long-term investment. Soon you'll have an entire table of players. Speaking of, I want to start a Sunday game with my family, something like uh, Babies and Broadswords or Little Wizards, so I can get the little kids in on it. They can have a good time. And you start them out young, you know? Let's, hey, get into this, not drugs. <laughs> so. Yeah, I guess uh, that's fair trade. I, You know, I think so. Now, let's jump into that third issue, because that third issue is all about how to spice up your campaign. And we have talked about many of these aspects uh individually yeah. periodically and I, I, this this article to me feels like uh just like someone who just didn't have very many ideas so just <laughs> threw like a bunch of things at the wall like they had all these ideas and were like what if i just made an article that had all my ideas on it um the supreme pizza of article ideas why not? Yeah, because it's like telling you play to play around with hot air balloons. Time. Okay. So uh, let me defend this hot air games. balloon thing. Let let Explosives. me let me defend some of this real quick. Have you read all of them? Have you like read yeah. the descriptions of these? Okay. So I w the reason I want to be on the defensive here is because you're looking at ways to spice up your game. And I'm going to take the hot air balloon first, because when you think of a hot air balloon, you think of it as, okay, it's just a hot air balloon. But really, you're looking at any sort of magical flame or heat along a large canvas to make a balloon and a basket or carriage in this matter. So it's not out of the realm of possibility as long as you understand engineering uh, as a character. So you can spice up your game oh, by adding, spite. because when you think this is specifically in the fantasy section of the uh, the first bit, this is when they first cover it, they say, let's talk about fantasy. How do you space up yeah. fantasy? And having a hot air balloon in fantasy versus a steampunk fantasy game where you have airships, this is just enough to bring it up a notch without being ridiculous. I just don't feel that hot air balloons are like even a reach. Like, have you thrown hot air balloons in your games? Yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, like the opening sequence of Icewind Dale Two had like a hot air balloon that crashed into the city. Um, All right, so it's been done before, which is fine, not a big deal. But I'm just saying that we're putting there. It's a way to help spice it up because these are things that a lot of people don't think of. Um, when they talk about things like time uh, as a technology to introduce, uh, they're really looking at more like time pieces, clocks, watches, etc. And 
when you get to that point. Now I'm like, all right, we're pushing steampunk because we got the intricacy of gears, etc. But we don't have to be because magic and autonomons or androids or alien spaceship technology can coexist in a very unusual fantasy section. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like the section on time added much. No, um, no. Same. I mean, like, wizards have always been made, like, clockwork things, clockwork took the thing. And there's never, like, there's never, like, when your players ask you what time it is, like, it's not like those numbers really matter. Like, no one's, like, the ac there's not an accurate time being tracked between out-of-world and in-game. I, I would love to tell you a small story. Go for it. I had a friend, I have a friend, excuse me, who spent a long amount of time uh, incarcerated. And in that time period, he learned how to play a D&D second edition. And he is detail-oriented and intricate. He scaled up weather patterns across his entire homemade world for an entire year, mapped out what would be considered time dilation between our world and their in-game time. And it was not a minute-to-minute -minute ratio, but it was more like a 12-to-1 style ratio where 12 hours of our time was only an hour in-game. And it was absolutely detailed yeah. to the minuscule possible blade of grass and how much sun or water it got. Uh, but of course, when you're also incarcerated, you have nothing but time to do that. He is great job. He has been working on his world for the last four years. We have still yet to play and because he is still developing things like weather pattern and the time scale and whatnot. Uh, yeah, some things can be overdeveloped. Uh, Agreed. But I, I think... <laughs> That is such an extreme of what people yes. are willing to do or can do yes. or have the time to do that I don't think it's really I don't think it's really something that's and and like time travel maybe if you're playing a superhero game but I feel like time travel causes so many issues and trouble and you know there's always paradoxes so while my friend is an outlier, he is the expectation to reality. Uh, while we always have those, I just wanted to point out I actually no one. Um, Timepieces, et cetera, I've got no problem with watches, et cetera. But I think it's got to fit the theme. You can't just drop them in wherever. Because for the most part in fantasy settings, we all imagine a Tolkien-esque Middle Earth style. And it doesn't quite fit, so you have to change the theme at least to encompass some of these things, which also leads into the next silly, ridiculous things, such as games, like mechanical games, like pinball machines. And I got to say, for me, the pinball thing is, or slot machines that they also use, for example, is far-fetched. I mean, I, th I think this article has, like, it has some of the right ideas, like how to draw inspiration from these common themes, but mm -hmm. it does it in a very literal sense. Like, yes. instead of saying, like, pinball is interesting, like, make a dungeon that is a pinball machine, or, like, take what's interesting in this 
in a in a simple game mechanic and turn it into a dungeon theme. But instead, it's like take a slot machine and put it in your adventure. <laughs> and that's exactly what it does. It's like, for example, you could have a human operator that takes the coins and then the levers pulled, wheels turned, shows symbols, and uh, the slot machine will dump out coins probably by a human operator in the back. Like, this could be an incredible centerpiece for your adventure. I'm like, no. Nope. No, it can't. I disagree. <laughs> so, in fact, the only centerpiece of the slot machine adventure for my party is destroying the slot machine, annihilating the slot machine coin guy, and hitting the jackpot without ever pulling that lever. So, I, that's a hard pass, man. On this one, hard pass. But I want to get into some of the other ones that are actually yeah, which, towards which, the which ones do you Which ones do you like? So, underneath the horror section of this one in particular, they start breaching into sound and music or props. And how to shock your audience. Now, these feel like natural progression to me. Ways to help get something a little bit extra. And so sound and music, for example, I've started doing with my in-home, in-office uh, at table games. And I utilize it primarily because it gives something to fill the dead space when uh, less people are chatting. And it helps stop them from cross-talking. All the time yeah it creates a base level of background noise yes how do you how do you pick your music like do you have uh like them prepared i found a spotify playlist i actually 100 percent dig and it's called medieval lo-fi <clears throat> okay so, so you're not necessarily curating your music to your scenes you're just no. having generic music across the background Right, like a grocery store. <laughs> yeah, I so. I remember what one time we we did the same thing, and it was is one of those. I think it was on Spotify. It was like some high fantasy adventure playlist, mm -hmm. and it was one of those situations where when it ran out, it just started auto playing. So we're all of a sudden listening to like Snoop Dogg. We're <laughs> like, where did I guess Snoop Dogg is in the fantasy world? Right, right. And the reason I go for a long generic style playlist is because curating something specific um, for either individual scenarios, if I have to do anything extra that takes me outside of running the game for the players, that's distracting my attention from running the game for the players. Whether it's one click or looking at something, trying to set something up, it takes me out. And I don't See, want that. I, I like it when... Like, it, it really depends on my session prep. If I'm prepping for an open world session, right, I, 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 don't, I want generic music. But when I'm breaking my sessions in the middle of combat, I love looking for specific music because I can, you know, cue up the, the, the ominous music right before the monster appears or I can have, the, you know, music building to, uh, you know, the next wave or a boss right. showing up and... Um, you maybe have some spell effects. Yep. more. I I like it. I think it's fun, but for me and my style, I want to do it, but I'm always looking for the right thing too much before in my pre in my pre planning. I'm always looking for the right thing way too much, um, 
And then at the end, it always comes down to in the heat of the moment, I'm going to forget. They're never going to know because I forgot. But if I don't forget and things get hung up for a second, I drop the ball. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to drop the ball. Um, but I think you and I both agree that in general, I, we think music is a good idea. I think, I think music's a great idea. Um, it can it can certainly cut down the background noise. I think mm-hmm. online it can be implemented well because anyone who wants to mute it can mute it and listen to it as they want. I'm um, glad you bring that up because I would mute my music on an online game every single time. I hate music on an online game. So now, for the longest time, I would would like listen to my own music, but then. You know, I realize, you know, they write those soundtracks with intentionally to try to like, you know, keep you engaged. And, you know, sometimes you just got to engage with the music. I don't like it. it I, I, in fact, I would rather sit with my headphones on and listen to nothing than listen to music most of the time. Wow. So, wow, that, is yeah. a, is a, that is a strong take. It's, it is weird. But music in an online game doesn't help draw me in. It feels like a complete distraction. It what feels about like, like a single player game? Like is that like a video game? Or if oh, I oh oh yeah in a video game. I, so well when you say single single player that's why I ask. Um, actually, I usually turn a lot of the music down quite a bit, so it's barely audible. Um, sound effect. I don't need the sound for it to be immersive. What I need are I need the captive I need the captivating either story or the elements. I need to feel enthralled. If I can't get that, I'm not gonna get it from the music. And if I only have the music to get it from, it's not a good enough story for me to invest in. So uh I think part of that started actually when I was in film school, because film utilizes sound so much, especially in horror films. Without it, uh without sound your visuals will be a hundred times worse and you can take sound and turn a crappy movie into a great film on sound alone. Um, so since I, since I connected a lot of those dots, my love for participating in stuff that requires a lot of sound has been going down. It's weird. <clears throat> weird. Cause I mean, yeah. it's all part of the same, mm-hmm. the same thing, the same product. Right. Uh, I'd like to give you a small film example, two, two small film examples, not exact examples, but okay. I, I believe you should be able to recall any action fight sequence that took place with zero music. Okay. So, I mean, you probably have one in your head, most likely from a superhero movie, because that's one of the ones that did it most recently. Or where they completely, and J.J. Abrams completely eliminated background music from his scenes in Star Trek when they show the Enterprise from outer space. Hmm. The lack of sound has such an impact now because we're always endowed with sound. Well, that's uh, that's a fu- that's fun sound mechanics. It's interesting. It's like, it, again. So after, with all these thoughts, you're okay with bombarding your players with more sound. If we're at a physical table. Yeah. Because it's like a grocery store. <laughs> but if I'm online, I don't want to listen to your shitty playlist. It's okay. So, it's fair. But it's good. Uh, so now that we have dumped so much time into sound because we agree we like it, 
props are next up in this list. And we know that I go above and beyond on props. I mean, I, I don't think anyone will disagree. Props props are cool. So yep. I don't think we need to No. I don't think we need no. to touch on that. No no. Uh, well let me let me ask real quick, because we talked about props and uh we do have I'm sure we'll have maybe one listener who is like, I don't know what we're talking about when we're talking about props. And sometimes they're the physical things you hand out, newspaper articles that you write for in-game, uh, the bureaucratic forms I've had my players fill out, to the death flags I let my players flip up. Now, you said that when I started introducing books, like my players can look for books in libraries and I will provide the book's content for them if they find them. Uh, you yeah. said that was too, you said that was above, beyond, too much. That was way farther the scope out of I don't need to waste my time on. So I found yes. a way to make it worth my time. Oh, what what did you do to make it worth your time? As my players read books, they get enhancements to their skills. Oh. So they can educate their characters by researching specific material. So are they educating the character or are they educating themselves? They're educating the character because the books that I write are ridiculous. So if the player doesn't actually have to read it, but the character can, how does that help drive the engagement? Why, why do you, you could do that without having written the book? I absolutely could. However, I have gotten plenty of uh, ridiculous role play because they have book content to go through. I've got. I wrote a book once for somebody who wanted to buy. I believe it was a uh, a hippogriff. I think it was a hippogriff. I don't know a Pegasus. I called it. The book title was Big Dumb Horse Bird. And this foremost expert that I developed and made canon in the world, who wrote the book, uh, had made a few quotes. And now the character will go around, and if he sees somebody like a hippogriff rancher, he'll quote this book, and they will give them like, "You're a moron." Like, I don't know who, who gave you that information, but it's completely wrong. He's like, no, I read it in this book, Big Dumb Horsebird by the Foremost Expert. I'm like, no, that lady don't know shit. So it's provided additional role play aspects for my tables. Well, that's good. It's good that you've got some players that are willing to uh, engage with anything you make. Sounds like a lot of, a lot of fun world-building opportunities. It is, but it's detail-oriented work that can also be time consuming and suck. So yes. Do you chat GPT it? I uh, I have tried that and I found myself editing so much more. I was like, I need to just write this shit up. So I might need a ridiculous biography and you broached a topic I've been irritated with lately, by the way. Okay. Oh. <sighs> All right, so I don't I don't mind AI tools. Okay. Um, the reason they don't bother me is because as tools, you learn how to use them, make them work, adjust them, etc. They're like any tool. They have a purpose, and that purpose is not usually to finalize a product, but to start a project. We give a lot of crap to AI tools, which is fine, but procedurally generated anything, whether it be world building in video games to... Uh, unusual Mad Libs that are completely spawned from the internet from random word generators is still all AI. But we don't sweat it until 
it become advanced enough to just take generalized conversational pieces. And that's irritating because we're fighting back after it got to this point when we've all been using AI to some degree with monster generators or dungeon generators or uh, quick world generators uh, for at least five years. Some people do it all by hand, but they're like, nope, I'm going to use the procedurally world generated. Is It's the same thing. We're still amalgamating a melting pot of crap that it can source from anywhere. Um, I mean, I think the issues are the fact that we live in a capitalist society, and so ownership matters. And so where learning... Uh, where machine learning comes in and credit like this is this is just an ongoing issue that as AI development goes on, it's going to be an, an issue. Are they sentient? Is it another form of life? Eventually. These are going to be big questions. I mean, Eventually. these are what we're going to start to tackle. And we is should Terminator around the corner. Probably. But at the same form, I mean, it's it's like when we had wars against photography, VCRs, tracing paper, etc. Things that record other people's work to be derivative from later. Um, again, even as storytellers, we sit down and we, we steal ideas. We rip out identifying factors. We change a few names, change a few locations, and all of a sudden it feels incredibly different. I mean, I don't remember if it was Fifty Shades of Grey or Twilight, but one of them was a fan fiction of the other. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, no comment on those. I'm just saying, if if that's what we're doing, and we're, we're choosing to battle over the, uh, I don't want to say legitimacy of the AI, but the technique in which it derives from, it derives from how we as people already do things. I mean, like, it's no problem if we do it by hand, but we put what we want to do in a computer and it spits out what we put out anyway. Now we have a problem with it. Uh, so I think that might be a little bit, uh, you know, of an oversimplification. True, true. But I've also worked in a bunch of industries where robotics and AI have actually completely wiped out jobs and industries. So it's the price of advancement. And, and that's just how I look at it as well. I mean, in those industries, you're told to adapt to get better or get out. And because you are right when you said the capitalist society on this, absolutely, that's driving this thing. And every industry fights their replacement because they can see it coming from a mile away. And somebody around the corner is promising Wall Street and the government that this is going to be better for the world. And it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. And I've stopped fighting. Why not get good at those things now so you have a foot in the door when they're not replacing you because your skill asset can use them to beat the competition, you know? That's true. But again, those you're looking at the gray areas. I don't mean to go on the soapbox. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I stand on such a unusual island for this because I, I agree with both sides. But being in industries where I've seen how it goes down before, I'm not jaded about the future. I expect to happen what I'm pretty sure is going to happen. So, yep, I, I just feel for all my artist friends is all. Well, I don't think artists will ever be replaced because 
what the artist can do will always be able to take your vision and read between the lines. Yeah, I think it's going to always, I mean, I think artists will art will always adapt. You know, there's always an as they do. thing. Yes, so. as they do. I don't think it's going to, it's not going to crush an industry like it did for assembly line workers. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not going to do that to artists, but it will make it tougher. But also as an artist, it's already been fucking tough. You know, people don't want to pay me anyway. Yeah, but people don't want to pay artists. They want us to do everything for free. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to hire an artist, hire an artist. They get angry because you're using an AI and not paying an artist. To be honest, the person who's using the AI to not pay an artist wasn't going to pay an artist if the artist did the work anyway. Well, they would have had to. Uh, they would have found out another way. They would have stolen the art. They would have copied the art. They would have just drawn something crappy. They wouldn't have paid an artist. Fair. So, um, again, hot take. I know my position on it's different, and it's weird to end it on such a crappy note. So, oh, dude, I just read something in this last issue. Yeah, is it where they hyped their previous issue about backwards gaming? Nah, it's this last thing, how to shock your audience. And I'm pretty sure my my soapbox out of nowhere just did that one. So let's end it before it continues. The true goal of the game is entertainment. I can't agree with that more. All right, guys. The generic adventure magazine is fun. Are there more issues than just these three, Eli? I don't think so. It's no. just, uh, doesn't look like there's got, I think they each came out about a year apart, but it's been two, a couple years since the last one. So I just stumbled upon it. And it's uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was, I, I, maybe it's worth buying something to support an artist, but I don't think it's all that great. Let me ask, cause you mentioned this. Was this a pay what you want? Was it a set price? Was it free? Um, I believe I purchased all three of them for like three dollars. So you're looking at a or... buck a piece. Yeah. Do you um, think that's worth it? Let me see if I bought it. Um, I, I don't like. I mean, I read them, but I don't think it was something entertaining. I don't, I don't think I learned anything from it. All right. So if you were a new new storyteller, game master, three bucks worth it? Uh, I'm going to say no. All right. So we won't recommend it, but there's not, uh, there's not a home run in here. But what we cover in this episode should be enough to give you enough ideas from what's in here to gleam something. So you don't have to waste the cash on it. I paid $5 for three of them. Paid way too much. <laughs> way too much. If you get would, it free, I think it's great. Or maybe a dollar for all three. A quick peruse, but I, I don't think it presents any information in a mind-blowingly new way for uh, a new GM or a, a, an old GM. I don't think it does a great job of introducing. Um, although its first adventure. I think the first magazine I would recommend to someone who might want to learn how to write a five-room dungeon. 
I think the first one is fantastic, especially considering the five-room dungeon technique, if you want to use the five-room dungeon that they present in the first generic episode. If there were more of these issues, I think that would be a different story. However, if we're just leaving it at three, it's hard to justify all three. Um, but you're right. A dollar for three, good deal. Get it for free, good deal. Five bucks for all three, I, I'm right with you. I can't sign on to that. An extra dollar, robbing me dry. If this was an if this was an exercise for the artist to be able to write and publish something, then I'm glad he was able to do it. That is important as well. The format is great. Layout's yes. fine. I'm, yep, it's a great piece and it's published. Yes, yes. We're just talking content's not revolutionary, but then again, you're always rehashing somebody else's ideas in the end, right? Can't always go too far. Pushing it out there is what matters. Yeah. And I've said it before when I talked about when we released The Legend of the Pharaoh King. I learned the most about the publication process with that. And if you're thinking about publishing anything, the best thing you can do is to keep pushing forward and publish it. I want to close us out on that note. If you want to do something, push through and get it done. Guys, check us out online at epictablegames.com or on Facebook. Our Discord channel is open, which usually a lot of my paid game players are just hanging out. Call out to them. I dig that. But I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Have a good day. Okay, new intro. We've changed the name and we're still using the word paladin. Paladin. I mean, it hasn't been used in the English language in about 200 years, but okay.